Matthew 13. Last week was the parable of the sower and the seed. If you weren't with us last Sunday, I encourage you to get a copy of the CD or get a chance to listen to it online because it bases the foundation of everything we're talking about here with these parables. And we kept bringing up this point, letting daily interactions become divine interactions. Letting daily conversations become divine conversations. When you're going to the doctor, you're really not going to the doctor. You're really just going out to scatter seeds. When you're going to get groceries, you're really not going to get groceries. You're going out to scatter seeds. Everything we do is scattering seeds. And that's what the parable of the sower and the seed is. is representing Christ and all we do and all we say. And that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to represent him in Ottawa at the Putnam County Fair, at Johnny and Friends, at church camp, up in Dearborn, at Holgate. Is just represent Jesus in these daily interactions. Now, a parable, best way to describe it, best definition I ever heard, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Because as you read these parables, they're just a straightforward little story. But you've got to find the key that helps unlock it. In fact, in other parts of the Bible, the same word for parable is actually translated almost riddle, if you will. And there's a little bit of a riddle that you need to figure out and unlock. And Jesus says, I'm doing this on purpose. If you look here at the purpose of parables in verses 10 through 17 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, I'm speaking in parables. Because those that want to hear are going to hear it. They're going to hear the story and say, I want to figure this out. What is the meaning? What is the purpose? The ones that don't want to hear, they're going to say, I don't get it. Forget it. I'm just moving on. Jesus says that shows your heart right there. And he's talking in the context of talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So we're continuing our study here through parables. And like I said last week, I encourage you to grab a copy of that. If you weren't with us Wednesday, I encourage you to grab a copy of that as well too. Because we're going through our study in Chronicles and we talked about Manasseh. And Manasseh has a wonderful testimony. And we talked again about just getting up there and scattering seeds for the Lord. So with that being said, here we are, Matthew 13, picking up in verse 24, the parable of the wheat and the tares. Verse 24 says, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seeds in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest, and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, and bind them in the bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Once again, earthly story. If you just read that at face value, there's nothing spiritual in that in any way whatsoever. That's what makes it the parable. It's trying to figure out the spiritual side of it. Now, the beauty of Matthew 13 is that Jesus explains this parable perfectly. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the story is pretty simple. The guy has a field. He's out there sowing wheat. And as he's sowing wheat at night, the enemy comes in and sows these tares. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And so now as the crop gets older, as the crop gets more mature, they're saying, we really can't separate this tear from the wheat. And they're so intertwined in their roots, they look so closely together. If I try to rip out the tears, I'm going to take the wheat with it. I'm going to lose the crop. And the guy says, just wait. Wait till it comes harvest time. Gather up the wheat first. Gather up the tares second. Burn the tares. And everything will be okay. Now to explain why this is so difficult to do, i got a slide here that I want to show you real quick. At the 8.30 service, I went up to shut the lights off, and he waited until I got right to the switch, and then he did the lights. So I'm just, he has power, and he knows how to use it. Um, Can you go back one slide here real quick, Alan? Here we go. 
Wheat on the left, tares on the right. It's a little bit hard to see here, but the wheat on the left, tares on the right, at this point they look very, very similar. If you're looking out into a field of tens of thousands of plants, it would be impossible to try to separate this. That's the point. So as you read this story, it doesn't make sense to us, but back then to Jesus, it's time to be like, oh yeah, wheat, tares, they look so similar. So wheat's on your left, tares on your right. You can both see how similar they are. Now go to the next slide, please. This is what it looks like when they come to actually time to be harvested. The wheat is very easy to tell. The amber waves of grain, you see that in the fields right now as you drive home. Tares to the left, they almost become black, become dark. So now if you're looking across the field, you'd be easily be able to tell what's wheat and what's not. And that's what this parable is saying. is during the moment of it, you can't separate wheat from tares. You can't see the difference. But as time goes on, when it comes to fruit, if you will, you can be able to tell which one is which. That's the parable. Now, what's the spiritual application of this? Well, Jesus explains it perfectly for us. Verse 36, same chapter. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The person sowing the seed is Jesus. The field is the world. Straightforward. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, believers. The tares are the sons of the wicked one, non-believers. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the Son, and the kingdom of the Father, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's that phrase again. Jesus is basically saying, if you want to hear it, hear it. So now we have the spiritual application of it. And we can piece this all together. It's pretty straightforward. Jesus is out there scattering seeds, planting seeds. Those seeds become believers. The enemy is out there also scattering bad seeds, the tares, the sons of the wicked one. He's the enemy that's coming at night to do this. There is a judgment coming where there will be a separation. Separating the believers from the non-believers. So that is what the parable means. Now, what does that look like? We're called to go out there and scatter seeds. We keep saying the same phrase. Let the daily interaction become a divine interaction. Why are we called to scatter seeds like we talked about last week? I don't know who is going to accept Christ and who's not. I don't know that. So I just want to represent him to every person that I run into. Just like the wheat and the tares. In the midst of it, I can't tell sometimes. I don't know who stands where or what. I mean, I can look at some fruit. I can look at this. But ultimately, the Lord knows the difference between the wheat and the tares. It's my job just to go scatter seeds and let the Lord take care of dividing that out. So are we willing to do that? We were at the zoo yesterday. And there was a lot of people at the zoo yesterday. And so couldn't it all fit into the penguin exhibit? And we had a stroller. So I hung out outside the penguin exhibit with the stroller while Dawn and the kids went in to go look at the penguins. And so I'm kind of standing out there, and there's all these people standing around. And I thought, you know what? Let the daily become a divine. So I'm just kind of looking at everybody, and I'm thinking, Lord, is there somebody you want me to just go start up a conversation and talk to? And there's a woman standing over by herself with the stroller. She must have been the grandma with the kids there. She looked like probably, you know, early 70s. So I kind of move my stroller over beside her stroller, and I start saying, Lord, open a door. She leaves. But the point is, <laughs> I was sometimes spirit love looks creepy. I'll just tell you that. Sometimes it does. But it's just letting the daily become the divine. I don't know. I'm willing. I got time. I could just stand there or I could say, Lord, I don't know if she's saved. 
I'm just going to go stand. Now, I mean, I, guys, I wasn't like elbow to elbow. I want to make sure you know that. But just, Lord, I'm available. I'm willing. What does this look like? And just starting up a conversation and seeing where God takes it. We need to be out there scattering those seeds. And when I say scatter seeds, I'm not saying legalistically. I'm not saying forced. I'm saying spirit-led. Just letting the Lord lead and guide your daily life and letting it become divine. Just saying, Lord, I'm here. I'm available. So that's what that parable means. Now, let's bring some points out of this. Let's apply this to our lives. What can we learn from this straightforward parable? Point number one, Jesus is active in sowing seeds. He, he wants us to be believers. He wants you. We were just talking Wednesday night about Manasseh, 55-year reign, one of the most evil kings that has ever existed. But at the end of his life, he gets saved. So that 55-year reign is actually grace because the Lord was speaking to him. And we quoted the verses out of Ezekiel where it says that God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't. He wants to see people get saved. So what do we see in this parable of the wheat and the tares? Jesus is active in wanting you. He wants you. He wants a relationship with you. You are wanted. You have a purpose. But at the same time, what else do we see? Satan is active also trying to dissuade people. He's just as active planting seeds the other way. Remember, the field is the world. Look at the world today. I hope you see good seeds being planted for the kingdom, but you also see a lot of other seeds. One of the first verses I really started to learn and understand after I got saved was John 10.10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief in that story is Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you don't believe that, just flip on the evening news for a little bit. There's a lot of seeds being planted out there in the world today, folks. Jesus is, Satan is. At this moment, sometimes we can't tell the difference. We can't. But at the end times, when the harvest comes, there will be a defining moment there. So, once again, sowing seeds. Jesus is sowing seeds. We talked about that last week, that idea of good seed. Satan sowing seeds. What does that look like? Well, first John tells us this, that there's many antichrists in the world. Now, there's one antichrist, capital A. He's the revelation antichrist. But there's many antichrist, little a's. And what are they doing? They're exactly what the word says. They're antichrist. They're anti-Jesus. And you see that in the world today through false teaching, etc. Second Peter chapter 2 mentions this as well. This idea that in the end times, what it's going to be like. Second Peter 2 verse 1, you don't need to turn there, it says... But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. So there's many antichrist little a's. There's false prophets. There's false teachers. And to take this one step further, I had to go to Acts 20, please. Can you look at Acts 20 with me? In Acts 20, Paul's giving his final speech to the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus had a special place in Paul's heart. Paul knew that he would not see them again. So he's giving this great teaching, if you will. And he's warning the church... And what you have here in Acts 20 is you have a warning about exactly what we're talking about. The false seeds being scattered in the field, in the world. Little Antichrist, 1 John, 2 Peter, false teachers, false prophets. Paul comes right out here in Acts 20 and makes it clear. Start in verse 29. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul says, listen, you're going to have people coming from the outside. But not only people coming from the outside, guess what? Verse 30, you're going to have people coming from the inside. The inside to create problems. 
That's that false teaching. That's that false seed. It's all over. They're intertwined with the wheat and the tares. Well, why don't we just rip it up? Because sometimes we don't know and those root systems get together. So next thing you know, you think you're ripping up a tear and really you're tearing down a fellow brother or sister in Christ. God says, I'll take care of that at the end time. Does this mean we let everything go? Of course not. Take the whole counsel of God's word. We're supposed to look at the fruit in people's lives and you can be able to see and tell, hopefully, that they're moving forward in their walk with Christ. But sometimes you look and you're, I don't know, wheat tears. Jesus says, I have this. It's going to come from the outside. It's going to come from the inside. So what do we need to do as believers? And if we know this, we need to understand truth. And you've heard me say this many times. There's three truths. Jesus is truth. Holy Spirit is truth. God's word is truth. So therefore, if somebody comes up with an idea, I need to compare it to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God's word. Does it line up with the nature of Jesus? Is that something Jesus would teach, preach, live? Does it sound like it's spirit-led? Is that from the Holy Spirit? And does it line up with God's word? If it doesn't line up with God's word, it doesn't line up with the nature of Jesus. If it's not spirit-led, I want nothing to do with it. Nothing. I've been walking with the Lord now 23 years, and there seems to be this cycle that this one book will come out, and everybody just loves it. It's the greatest book ever. It's going to change the church. It's going to change the world. And so we get all excited about this book for a while. And then we start really studying what this book says. And it's like, wait a second. This book kind of makes me a bit nervous when you really start getting into some of the stuff it says. And by that time, that book kind of dies down. But then a year or two later, guess what? Another book comes up. And we all get excited about this book. This is going to change everything. Best book I've ever read. And then that one kind of dies down after a while because you start studying it out a little bit. Now, I'm not opposed to Christian books. I've read some wonderful Christian books that were very fruitful and very good. But ultimately, if you want a good book to read, how about this one right here? There's a lot of truth in this. I'm not opposed to the other ones, but there's just a lot of good truth in this word. How do we know the false from the true? Because God's word is truth, and it lines up with that. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false teachers. There's going to be antichrists. There's going to be wolves. It's going to happen. And they try to do it secretly. You don't need to turn there, but the rest of that verse in 2 Peter 2, verse 1, there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Secretly bring in destructive heresies. They sneak it in. And guess what? That lines up exactly what we're talking about here in Matthew 13. Because there's two other parables here that we kind of skipped over. Can you go back to Matthew 13? Let's read verses 31 through 33. Remember that phrase, secretly. Verse 31, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, remember that word secretly. Now, we need to talk about these parables for a second. There's really two main ideas on these parables. One idea is this, that this represents good stuff. Good stuff. Mustard seed. I have some mustard seeds at home. They are tiny. I can't, I can't stress you how tiny these things are. And so in proportion to the size of the seed, they grow into this amazing size bush. But even right here it says it grows into a tree and the birds land on it. Some people look at this and say, that's the picture of the church. Started out small. What does the Bible say? I think it was 120 people at the time of Jesus rose to heaven. And now the church has grown into hopefully hundreds of millions, if not billions, of saved people. And the idea of the birds coming and landing, saying that we're open here and come be a part of Christ. On the parable of the leaven, verse 33, leaven is a rising agent. It makes your bread rise. So therefore, that's a picture of God's word going out there and rising and overcoming. Because if you look at verse 33, when she puts in three measures of uh, meal, that's a lot. 
So this represents God's word getting big. Okay, that's really nice. I like those. But it doesn't line up with the context of what we're talking about. Because the parable before this one is wheat and tares. Something bad, evil seeds. Verses 31 through 32, yeah, the mustard seed growing, I can see that being a picture of the church. But we just read last week, birds, verse 32, represent evil. Now, not every reference in the Bible to birds is evil. The Holy Spirit being a dove is obviously a good one. But there's a lot of references in the Bible to birds representing something evil. And a lot of people believe the first parable, 31 and 32, represents the church growing. Amen. Abnormally growing. And guess what happens? Birds start nesting. False teaching starts seeping into the church. Oh, it's all over the place. I was driving through BG the other day, and we were just going through a few blocks, and it just absolutely fascinates me how many different churches there are, and they're right across the road from each other. And as you're going through these churches, you're like, okay, so this person, I know what they believe, and I know what they believe, and I know what they believe. And it's like, my goodness. And I'm not trying to speak evil of churches. I'm just saying birds have come in and nested, and there's junk all over the place. Or verse 33, when she hides the leaven. Once again, she hides it. What did we just read in 2 Peter 2, 1? Secretly bringing it in. And leaven in the Bible is not good. Exodus 12, we have a whole feast of unleavened bread. If you were with our small group this spring when we talked about that, we talked about what the unleavened bread represents in the Passover. Then in Matthew 16, Jesus said, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, talking about their teaching. Mark 8, he talks about the leaven of Herod. And Paul just comes right out in 1 Corinthians 5 and says, Get rid of the leaven in your life, because it represents sin. So a lot of people believe verse 33 is a picture of what? As the church grows, guess what? False teachings are going to be secretly put into the church. This is why we're important to know truth. This is why the Bible tells us that we're supposed to give a defense of the gospel. This is why the Bible says we're supposed to study to show ourselves an approved workman. Because when the falseness comes up, I see the truth, I respond and say, listen, that doesn't line up with Jesus. That is not spirit-led, and that is not God's word truth. That's why we offer discipleship classes, small groups, Wednesday nights, small... I mean, all these things. If you've got a Bible question, ask us. We'd love to get a help, and we'd love to point you in the right direction. And then as it says in the book of Acts, there's a group of people called the Bereans that checked it out. I hope you don't even take what I say. Write down. Look up the verses I mentioned. Study it out. Know God's word so that way when those birds come, when that leaven comes, when that false seed comes, you're like, yeah, this doesn't line up with Scripture. This is not right. Because it's going to happen. We saw that with the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, let's come to the last point here in the parable of the wheat and tares. And this is probably the most important one. Look at the description here at the end of this in Matthew 13, verse 40. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He has ears to hear, let him hear. Judgment. There's going to be a separation between the wheat and the tares, between the evil and the good. I ask you to go to Revelation 20, please. Revelation 20 tells us about this. This is the eternalness of what we need to talk about. It's kind of interesting. We talk a lot about eternal life. We talk about everlasting life. We don't seem to talk as much about eternal death or everlasting death. Because that's real, too. There's a great verse in Matthew 25, and you don't need to turn there. 
where it kind of talks about this. It brings this point up. It says this. These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You're, you're going to last eternally in one location, either heaven or hell. That's a fact. Now, in Matthew 25, it translates one into the idea of eternal, eternal life, the other one into everlasting punishment. But yet, in the original Greek, it's the exact same word. So you are going to live on forever the exact same way. One is in hell and one is in heaven. That's the eternity of what we're dealing with. Now, we have to understand the seriousness of this. And I think sometimes we lose scope of eternity. Of everybody in the world, we as believers should understand eternity more than anybody else. This is not even my country world, the Bible says. It says, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I am a heavenly citizen on this earth representing Jesus to the world. I'm supposed to be focused on eternal Colossians says I'm supposed to set my mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. Just be honest with yourself this week. How much did you get upset on earthly things versus heavenly things? Probably mostly earthly. Dawn and I had something that popped up this week and it came out of nowhere. came home from church Wednesday. Church seemed to go good. Seeds were planted. We're talking about outreach. We're saying, hey, this Dearborn thing, we feel led to get involved. Maybe we're going to take everybody up. And next thing you go from talking about ministry in Dearborn and people getting saved, to all of a sudden, a little disagreement. Boy, she was wrong. <laughs> in this little disagreement, all of a sudden, how can we go from ministry and heaven and souls saved to an earthly we don't see eye to eye. Man, Lord, help us. Help us to see the eternal. Because once again, you're just not going to get groceries. You're going to scatter seeds. You're not going to work tonight or work tomorrow. You're going to scatter seeds. That's what you do. When you stop to get lunch, you're scattering seeds. Everything we do, and it's not forced, it's not pushed, it's spirit-led. But Lord, I'm available to scatter seeds in all that I do. Because the only thing that matters is eternal. So much time and energy gets put into building our little kingdom down here. It's like, nah, I want to build the eternal kingdom of the Lord. That's what matters. So what does this mean when talking about eternity? Hey, let's just go right back, right back to the basics. What happens when you die? Have you ever thought about that? Now, if you're here this morning and you're born again and saved, what that means is this. Born again, John 3. You have been born a second time spiritually. You were dead in sin, and now you're born a spiritual time. You are now a child of God through Jesus Christ. His blood is a sacrifice. We have sin in our lives that sin has to be dealt with. And so Jesus sacrificed his own body to cover our sin. And that blood covers our sin. That blood is the only currency accepted in heaven to pay off debts, and that's through Jesus. So we believe that. So that therefore makes us born again and saved, and we live our lives for him. Now... When I die as a believer, Paul makes this clear, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I'm immediately in heaven. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So as a believer, when I die, I go right to heaven. And what's heaven? Revelation says no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more nothing. That's eternal life, everlasting life. Now, the flip side, if you choose to reject that, when you die, what happens? Well, the Bible says you go to this place called uh, Sheol or Hades. And it's a place of punishment. It's a place of torture. Luke 16 says you're immediately there. Now, this was not designed for us. This was designed for Satan and the fallen angels. The Bible makes that clear. But we have chosen to reject God's path. So, therefore, that's where we go. Now, before you think that doesn't seem very fair, well, that's why God is just. 
You can choose to reject Jesus and you get a chance to stand before God yourself. That's Revelation 20. Look at Revelation 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. Now, there's two judgments. First one is a believer. As a believer, I'll go through something called the judgment seat of Christ. This is where I stand before the Lord, and he looks at my life... And he rewards my life on how I served him and the fruit I produced for him. This is not a judgment on salvation. I'm already in. This is a judgment of how I used my time for him. Best way to look at it is it's almost like a job review. You're not in danger of losing your job, but you're sitting down with the boss. And the boss says, this is how you did this last year. So then that determines my rewards. Now, some people at this point stop and say, I don't care about rewards. I'm just happy to be in heaven. Well, you should care about rewards. Because what we can piece together from looking at the Bible, any type of reward you get, guess what you do with it? You just give it back to Jesus. Because you say, I didn't do this for me, I did this for you. I did this for you, Lord, not for me. That's the judgment seat of Christ. Not salvation, but rewards. Now, this other judgment here in Revelation 20 is a great white throne judgment. And this is the fair God you serve. Look at the second part of verse 12 again. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which are written in the books. God says, sure. Reject Jesus. Go on your own merits. You can stand before me. I will open up the books of your life. Everything you did, said, what have you. Your motives. And we will then judge whether you are worthy of eternal heaven by your actions. Now here's the catch. The catch is very simple. This is not as long as I do more good than bad. This is, I did all good, no bad at all. This is, the standard is perfection. Perfection. That's why the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because none of us can meet that standard of perfection. That's why Christ was the perfect sacrifice to take care of us. Because if you decide to stand before God on your own, your own merits, your own works, I was a good person, I was a good husband, I was a good father, I was a good whatever, yeah, but you're still a sinner. Yeah, but I was a good sinner. But you're a sinner. Verse 13. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is what we would consider hell, the Greek word Gehenna. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is what we're talking about in the parable of the wheat and the tares. That is the separation that's going to happen. The eternalness of either you're harvested for the Lord into heaven, or you're harvested to be burnt for eternity. This is why we go out, folks, and scatter seeds. Someone sent me a great quote this week by Spurgeon, and I absolutely loved it. And it basically says this. I'm just going to read a part of it. It says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap over our bodies to hell. That idea of that we're going to do everything we can to represent Christ to these people. They can choose to reject, but we're going to do what we can to represent Christ to them. That's scattering seeds. I think a lot of times when we reach point as a church, and I don't mean as harvest, I'm just saying as a church, is, hey, live your life, I live my life, see you at the end. That's, that's not, I'm not here just to live my life. I'm here to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I'm here to raise my kids in a godly way that they hopefully grow up and accept Christ at an early age and live and serve Him. And I'm here to minister and represent Jesus to everybody. That's what I'm here to do. It's not this whole laissez-faire, hey, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. No. I care about you, and I care about you personally. I care about the people I've never even met. Because I want to go scatter seeds because I don't want to see anybody go to hell. Somehow the gospel message has gotten changed a little bit. 
We represent Jesus. Why? Because we want you to be happy. I see you do not have happiness or joy in your life. So therefore, let me tell you about Jesus. He will bring happiness and joy into your life. And that's true. He will. The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The side effect of a relationship with Christ is joy. It is peace. But Jesus did not die on the cross to make me smile more. He died on the cross because I had sin that had to be dealt with. And that sin was taking me to hell. That's the gospel message that we need to present. Because the truth is this. You can run into somebody and you could try the whole joy, happiness, right? You can go up to them and say, listen, I know you're miserable in life. I know you have no joy. I know you have no peace. I know that you want more out of life. And Jesus is what can give you that. They could look at you and say, no, I'm pretty happy. I feel very fulfilled, actually. Because some people aren't lacking at this moment. They filled themselves up with enough of the world. Read through the Bible. There was a season where David and Solomon, even Moses, had filled themselves up with enough of the world that if you went to them and said, Solomon, I know you're lacking. He'd probably say, no, I'm not at this moment. So what do we need to present? We need to present the truth of, listen, you think you have everything in this world. You think you have joy, peace, and happiness. But you know what? There's still an issue you haven't dealt with, and that's sin. And that's what we need to deal with right now. That's the parable of the wheat and the tares. What Jesus is trying to tell us here in Matthew 13 is, listen, there's seeds all over the place. Some grow good, some grow bad. We sometimes can't separate them, can't tell the difference. End times will separate. So we need to beware, first off, number one, there is false out there. There's false seeds scattered into the church. There's false antichrists. There's false teachings, false wolves. Know that. They're trying to secretly hide it in. Know that. Know the truth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God's Word. Number two, understand the eternal destination of people. Go back to Matthew 13 one more time. Understand the eternal destination of people. Read this one more time. Verse 40 on. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. That's the eternal that we're trying to talk about. So last week our point was pretty simple. We want you to change how you approach life. Everything you do is scattering seeds. Okay, this week I want you to take that mindset, and now as you approach life... Think about eternity. Every interaction you have with somebody, think about that eternal interaction with them. That's deep. I get it. I mean, because so often in life right now, some of us are thinking, I I should have had more breakfast. I'm hungry. Things are so fleshly. I got to get home. I got to fill up the laundry. I got to get the yard mowed. I got to do this. I got to be at work this afternoon. There's all these type of just little earthly thoughts. And we live in a world where we have to deal with those earthly thoughts. That's a fact. But what really we need to stop and do is say, okay, I want to look at everything through the eternal. The eternal here of what we're dealing with and what we're talking about. And understand, Lord, I want that mindset in all I do and all I say. That doesn't mean you're called to do everything. Not everybody is called to get baptized today. And if you are, talk to me. Not everybody's called to Johnny and friends or to the prayer chain. But I hope you pray for those that are. Not all of you are called to serve at VBS. But pray for it. Not of you are called to go to Dearborn, but pray for it. There's something you are called to, though, to scatter seeds with. There are something you're called to for a more divine purpose. 
There's something deeper out there, and that's the beauty of what we do, is to say, Lord, I don't want to just live for me anymore. I want to live for you. And I'm just going to be honest with you. As you get that mindset, you're going to start to see a little bit of just a separation from the things of the world. All of a sudden, the conversations that used to lure you in, I, I, I don't care about that situation at work anymore. I don't care about the news as much anymore. I don't care about this as much anymore. I'm just going to start to say, Lord, it's about you. And as I get more focused on you, what did we talk about? The verse that we set for our goal this year, back in, Ma- back in January, Matthew six thirty three: Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Lord, I just want to put you first in all that I do and all that I say. Hey, worship team, if you come forward, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, help us to think of the eternal.